pitch explodes. What was your mindset when you stepped in the batter's box? Go yard. I mean, <laughs> I'm a pitcher. Why not swing as hard as I can? He was so worked up, he vomited on the sideline and then just kept on yelling at his teammates, Steve. <laughs> sideline reporter for ESPN didn't make me popular. This thing did. I've been getting offers for it all day long. That might be the best sideline report in the history of sideline reports. Hello, hello. Welcome back. The pod is back. You're listening to the Sideline Pass podcast. Chris Budden, Molly McGrath of ESPN. And we wanted to get back to talking about games. Why? Because... Well, we've been all over the place, particularly Molly, who just covered the semifinals at the Cotton Bowl and wanted to dive into what the week was like for you. Molly, how's it going? Yeah, it's been um, it's been crazy and a lot of fun. I think covering my first semifinals was something that was surreal, but really special. Um, I was in Dallas for the Cotton Bowl for the Alabama Cincinnati game. And basically semifinal games and covering college football playoff games are normal bowl games on steroids. Like you get there way earlier than you do for most games. You uh, have to be there for coverage throughout the week for game day and for sports center and SEC nation and Paul Feinbaum. Um, and Chris, you've got a little taste of it in Dallas. You know, you covered the teams coming to Dallas. Uh, so it, it's long days. I was there all week. The game was on Friday. I got there, what, on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. And every day, essentially, you're available all day for Sports Center. So you do a morning Sports Center, a noon Sports Center. You do a talk back with a couple different shows. Um, so it's constant. But I found that my preparation and talking to players on my own really helped with that because there's media availability for the playoff and everyone's talking to the players. Everyone's getting the same quotes. All the storylines are repeated over and over again. So it's kind of nice getting something that's fresh and a little bit different. Um, And I covered Cincinnati for the semifinal and there were a lot of great stories. It was a bummer that the game wasn't more competitive. (laughs) Who, who would have thought that, this game, the Cotton Bowl, was more competitive than the Orange Bowl. Oh my gosh! Like, I said no this, one would have guessed that. I said that last night on radio when people were making fun of me for being such a big Cincinnati fan, and I'm like, and that it could be detrimental to the Group of Five ever getting in. And I'm like, well, then you cannot say that case against Michigan because the margin of difference was smaller in your game in the Cotton Bowl than it was over in Miami. I know it was just Cincinnati just couldn't handle Alabama's size up front. Their offensive line was just totally mismatched. Desmond Ritter couldn't do anything in this game. And we knew going into this game that Desmond Ritter would have to be special um, in order for them to win. And he really just looked like he couldn't do anything that paired with Alabama going back to a different style of football than they normally do. You know, they are normally, um, you know, spread offense, big explosive plays in the passing game. And they had, you know, Jamison Williams and John Mechie, two of the best receivers in college football. And then Mechie goes down. It was really sad watching him. He was there at warmups wearing gloves, catching balls. You could tell he wanted to be playing in that game so bad. He was out with an ACL injury. Um, So they decided to do something different and go back to like, the Nick Saban of old and smash mouth football and Brian Robinson had the game of his life. And he was my favorite story. I think uh, of that game, the fact that he grew up in Tuscaloosa waited for five seasons to start at Alabama waited behind all of these incredible players like Najee Harris. And then when he, it's his time to shine, when the team needs him the most, 
he brings it, he brings it up big and he brings them to a national championship game. So, uh, the, he's a really cool story, but yeah, it was, it, it's never fun being on the losing sideline, uh, for those kinds of games. Yeah. Especially for a team like Cincinnati, cause they are really easy to root for. And you know, like so many of those guys aren't coming back next year. What, I mean, like for the schedule for the day, you talk about doing all of the sports center stuff. What time are you waking up? Your game didn't start until three local, two, two local, something like that. Yeah. Two 30 local time. So the night before I was like cranking through trying to get work done. So I didn't go to bed till probably like midnight, maybe a little before midnight. Um, and then the next morning I woke up at four 30, um, to, get myself ready to go out the door and get hair and makeup done. Um, They had hair and makeup stylists there. They're actually Laura Rutledge's people who travel with her for SEC Nation and for NFL Live. And um, so, but that was really early. Like my call time for them was like five o'clock or something like that. So did that, um, met with the producer to talk about what I wanted to talk about on game day. And we went live on game day at 7 a.m. And um, had a quick talk back with Reese and the guys around like 7.04 on the earlier side of things. And then we actually taped a hit. I know people want to believe that it's live or our producers (laughs) want us to have people believe that it's live. But like in the final hour of game day, so in the third hour, we taped something. um, So did you go back to the hotel? In between? Yeah. You did. Yeah. So I was there like taping stuff. So I did the live talk back for game day. And then I taped a bunch of stuff for like 10 minutes, whatever, just knocked it out. Uh, And then I just went back to the hotel and I just sat there and like looked over my notes and like the hay was in the barn at that point. Like I was, I was done. I was ready for the game. I had my depth charts already like filled in with all the information I needed. Um, so I FaceTimed my son, I watched some TV, hung out, rested, and then got ready to go over. Um, I went over, let's see, I had a 1230 interview with Luke Fickle when he arrived. So I got there at like 11, 1130, just to like get settled, uh, get wired up with my microphone, talk to my game producer. Cause I, it was crazy. I hadn't really seen my game producer all week because of COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. Everyone was super paranoid about that stuff. So we weren't really meeting in person. We were meeting over zoom and I was so busy on the sports center side that like, I really didn't talk to any of my game people, um, until, you know, the day of the game. Um, so did all that got there 1230 for Luke fickle and then did like went straight after that to go do a live talk back with Laura on sec nation. So it's just like constant. Like I had to keep reminders in my phone and keep my calendar updated on everything that I needed to do. My day was crazy. It was not as crazy as Laura Rutledge's day because she was like going back and forth between different nation shows and the game. Like she didn't get to the field for the game broadcast until two, a little after two and we were live on the air at two 30 and kick was around two 40. So she was on the field like 30 minutes before we were live on the air. I was like, dude, I don't know how you do that because that would stress me out to not be able to watch warm up. So I was watching both sides for her in case anything happened. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a crazy busy day, but it's a lot of fun and it goes so fast. You have to interview your coach so many times that week. I think you do one the day before you do an arrival, you do a pre-kick, which by the way, I love the pre-kick interview because it was based on who got the ball first. So I thought that was really timely. Do you ever feel like I'm running out of questions to ask because I've talked to you now so many times and you have to make it different for every show? 
I didn't actually, I thought that I would. And one of the producers reached out and was like, Hey guys, you're going to do like a million arrival interviews. Can you please make sure all the questions are different so that the guys in studio have different stuff to talk about. And I, I feared that I would get caught asking the same questions, but in following the teams all week and talking to them every day and listening to all of the media availability and just being so entrenched with it, there were so many different things to talk about and so many directions to go in. So I looked at it with the Friday, no, 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 with the um, day before game. I did like a Thursday interview the day before the game that would air Thursday night, maybe like Friday morning. I thought really big picture because we're not there yet. We're not at the game. I'm mm-hmm. going to ask Luke Fickle about what the week has been like. I'm going to ask him about, you know, what has been his message to his team all week. I thought really big picture uh, and macro with that one. And then with the arrival interview, I decided to get a little more detailed in terms of like how their team would attack Bryce Young and different things like that. Um, but I was still pretty broad. I, I didn't want, I, I wanted to be big picture because this is a bigger show and a bigger audience. And I wanted people to get a feel for who Cincinnati was. And I, I don't know. Good or bad. I just, I wanted to be big picture with those. And then I went really specific with my pre-kick interview because I wanted during, especially like Luke Fickle had said all week, our first defensive possession and our first offensive possession are the most important of the game. Mm -hmm. We need to set the tone early. We need to start fast or else we're screwed against a team like Alabama. So I really wanted to focus on, you know, the first drive of the game, what they needed to do to come out of the gates aggressive. So my question to him was, you know, you said to take down the champ, you have to be aggressive. You're starting this game on defense. How do you uh, like attack and be aggressive against Bryce Young? Yeah. And they weren't very aggressive and they didn't attack. I, I kind of, um, I was really bummed. I thought their offensive game plan would be a little more aggressive. I thought we would see some trick plays. I thought that we would see them going for it more on fourth down. I thought that they would just have been um, much ballsier. Yeah, you know, their offensive line struggle, but you talk about the trick plays like they pulled out a Philly special in my game against SMU. And I would have thought that we would have seen that at some point. Just had trouble sustaining drives. I think to beat Alabama, you have to throw everything at them. Yeah. Right. And and I just think that they were maybe demoralized by the matchups up front. I, I just think that they realized that they couldn't quite match up and they couldn't maybe do the things that they wanted to do, but they weren't as aggressive as I thought they would be. I I thought that this was going to be a three quarter game, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was, I was a little bummed, a little want, want, like, what do you do when you're on the losing side? I'm standing behind all the benches. And by the end of the game in the third quarter, it's a blowout yeah. and no one's talking and there's nothing really to report. And so, and you're not going to pitch any stories because you don't want anyone to look stupid, (laughs) you know, guys, guys saying that, you know, they're motivated to win and stuff like that. So in those moments, you kind of take a back seat and just try to let things come to you and and look for stories, but you have to know when to just let the game dictate what you're talking about. Yeah. I really hope that going forward, that this isn't a knock on the group of five, you know, that, that they, that the voters or that the playoff committee is not going to sit there a year now and say, well, the last time I know that every year is supposed to be a clean slate, but you know, people have revisionist history or, you know, in their head. And so I, I just hope that going forward, you know, this was the first group of five team that they don't sit there and say, well, we didn't get a good game last time we did it. 
I don't think that would be fair. And I don't think anyone could say that because if that's the case, then people could say, well, you know, the big 10 Michigan, <laughs> yeah. really, Michigan really stunk up the joint yeah. against Georgia. Like Michigan looked like a different Michigan team than the one I've seen all year yeah. against Georgia. Um, and so I thought that Cincinnati uh, of the, of the matchups, like I thought Cincinnati held their own much better than Michigan did. Um, so I don't think that people would be able to say that about the group of five. I think that uh, Alabama and Georgia are just that much better than everyone else. Yeah. So yeah. B- for people that weren't following the Sports Center updates every hour and every day leading up to the Cotton Bowl, I did the first two days and my second day there, you were getting into Arlington and we had dinner plans. You almost didn't make it to Arlington, though, because of COVID delays and holiday travel. And Molly pulled a uh, a veteran move to make sure that she got onto the plane, which involved something that she never does, which is checking a bag. Molly, I, oh you my gosh, a bag. I, I haven't checked a bag in years, and <laughs> it's my biggest like. Thing I brag about is the fact that I never have to check a bag. Here I am packing right now for Indy and I'm going to check a bag again. So I might have to pull this move again. Um, but I live in Seattle and I got to SeaTac two hours early, which veteran flyers do not get to the mm-hmm. airport that early. Like you get there, you get on the plane, you're out of there. But I was like, you know what? Things are a little sketchy with, two with days COVID after and Christmas. Omicron. It's two days after Christmas. Like this is a big travel day. And we had just had a huge snowstorm in Seattle. Um, so I was like driving by wrecks on the highway and there was a jackknife semi that I went by just to try to get to the airport. So that was like a stressful part of the morning. And the lines were insane. And a lot of the airport personnel, I think because of COVID and just what's going on with our economy, um, it's very understaffed. So there were only like four ticket counters to help people for all of one airline. It it was ridiculous. And I was in the first class, like priority line because I have status because I fly so much, but that line was like the longest line. And so I'm waiting in this line for an hour and a half. It's not moving. And I'm just like, all right, I need to make a decision. And I'm texting Chris because Chris, if I hadn't, I was texting you because if I wasn't able to show up, they would have needed you for Sports Center. So it affected you too. So I'm texting you, like, I don't know. Really, I just wanted flight. dinner. I needed you to make it so that we could have dinner because we never see. Yeah, each so other. we could see each other. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that was an important part too. So I'm I'm in there in line, and you could see me processing. Okay, what do I do here? Do I ditch my bag? Do I wait in this line and potentially miss boarding? And then my bag like will come later. I don't know what to do. So I start Googling, can I take my large check bag through security? So I'm Googling it and it looks like maybe I can. So I start to take all of my liquids out. I toss my liquids and I've been waiting in this line with these people. Like you got to know them because you're waiting in line for an hour and a half. And some woman is like, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to try to take this bag through security and gate check it because I think that that's my only way to make my flight. And she's like, good luck. I said, thanks. I'll take it. I'll take all the luck I can get. So I went through security. They do not monitor the size of your bag. They just care about the liquids and what you have in it. So I took all my liquids out. All it was was contact liquid and hairspray. It's like, whatever. Who cares if I have to throw those things out? So I throw them out. Security doesn't care that my bag's too big. Go straight to the gate, walk right up and say, I'd like to gate check my bag, please. And the woman goes, 
oh yeah, of course. Okay. Puts a tag on it. And then I was able to check it to my final destination and I made my flight. So just so everyone knows, that's what you do when the lines are way too long at the airport, especially because I think a lot of airports are dealing with stuff like that right now, but I wouldn't have made it in time if I hadn't done that. So you tell me that story. And I had to go from the cheese at bowl in Orlando to Phoenix for the festival. And I was going to check a bag. And then you had me terrified that I was going to miss my flight. So I nearly broke my, uh, my carry on trying to fit everything in to get to Orlando, but veteran move by you, Miss McGrath. Yeah. Now I know. And I'm probably going to do it in like two days when I leave for <laughs> Indy, probably just going to take my bag straight through security again, whatever, whatever works. Um, I would love to hear about some of your games, Chris. I would love to hear about anything interesting that happened in your games and kind of your takeaway. Cause you've, you've been cranking through bowl season. You're like one of the busiest women I know. Yeah. So, um, there's a couple of crazy things. Uh, I did the D2 championship with almost feels like a month ago now and had some sort of allergic reaction slash eye infection the day before the game. <laughs> and my eye blew up. I think I sent you a picture. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the game. Like my eye won't open, uh, go to the emergency room and they give me antibiotics and told me to take some Benadryl. And my bosses are, are you going to be able to work? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like I'm money. high off Benadryl. I'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. I'll just wear a pirate patch on air. It's like, we're mm. so worried about COVID, but Hey, can your eye unswell so you can go do your game? <laughs> I was Jeez. like, I'll see what I can do. So that was fine. Um, did the armed forces bowl, which was a really good one. It was my alma mater, Missouri and army. And it was cool to see all the folks that I worked with, not just the football side, but the KOMU is the local news station there. So a lot of the people that I worked with there and then did the cheese it bowl for radio, which it's always fun doing radio. Cause then you get to see the other broadcast crews that you don't get to see all the time. So I was on the sidelines with Tom Luganbill. It was cool to see Clemson get a 10 win season. And even though it's not the Clemson that everyone uh, is used to seeing that they still wanted to play for something. It stunk seeing James Skalski get injured and not be able to finish the game because I know he's one of our favorites. Uh, and then mm. did the Fiesta Bowl, which was a hell of a game. It, we didn't think it was going to be heading into halftime because Marcus Freeman, who was making his head coaching debut for Notre Dame, and man, he is so easy to root for. He's amazing, uh, isn't he? So easy to root for. He, uh, yeah, they got up by 21 points uh, before the half, and Oklahoma State kicks a field goal or uh, scores a touchdown right to go into halftime, and then they shut Notre Dame out the rest of the way. And it was, it, it's hard because you watch the emotions of both sidelines, and when they're seniors, guys like Kirk Heinish and a lot of these guys for, Notre Dame that have just been through a lot in the past month. And then to be up 21 points and then lose it in that matter was, was kind of tough. Uh, the, the game was cool because Marcus Freeman gave me an interview right before kick. So that was cool to say, like, you're a minute away from coaching your first game as a head coach and you're doing it in this environment. Uh, and I also we had a 10 minute open. So I also had an an open hit, like a regular, Ugh, hit I love then, that a regular hit and then a, the interview. So we're going through the open and I'm about two minutes in and lights on cameras on. And as Bob is tossing to me, they're 
warming up. A, the ball hits me right in the back of the head. And then Bob's like, and now to Chris. <laughs> I was like, thank God that happened when it did. Because can you imagine if I started that on camera and then I, I get, I mean, happened to Pam Oliver. Get like hit I right. don't know <laughs> how you recover from that. You just say, well, guys just got hit in the face. But anyway, moving on to Notre Dame. Like, how do you, you just have to, you have to acknowledge it and move on very quickly. I mean, but my report was fairly serious. It was about losing Brian Kelly and the emotional struggle. <laughs> that this it actually would have been perfect. You should have, you should have done the report in a fake Louisiana accent like Brian Kelly <laughs> yeah. and, and say that you suffered brain damage. And uh, I don't know. What? That's so funny though, That's that that so happened. Good. What if I had like just gotten hit and I was like, sorry, guys, I got hit by the football. (laughs) Hey, y'all, Brian Kelly now in Louisiana. People would be like, oh, someone broke Chris. Chris Button is now broken. (laughs) broken. Oh, my. That can't be the first time you've been hit in the head with a football, though. That's happened to me so many times, which like explains a lot. (laughs) It's more happened during (laughs) when you're talking to coaches pregame and you're on the field and people are punting Mm -hmm. and kicking field goals in all which directions. It's never, it's very rare that our backs are to the field. It's basically like the open and then the halftime right out of halftime. Yeah. I mean, Laura got bulldozed by a player two years ago. I've never had anything that bad. I'm just glad it wasn't because there's probably a couple million viewers that would have been mortifying. So then, so then post game comes Oklahoma pulled out this incredible victory. Well, it was cool to see Spencer Sanders on the sidelines and you and you and I have talked about this before. He can be really hot headed and they get down and he was really mellow and kept his guys in it. So it was cool to see the maturity of that. And having- I heard your report and it was really good. And I was like, yeah, girl, yeah. Talked about that over dinner. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun when you've covered a team so much, you know, the personalities of all the guys on the team. And so I covered them a lot during COVID, but then, so post game, they go and they dump Gatorade on Gundy right as the game ended. And so we have to get to Rose Bowl coverage. I go to interview Gundy. I did not even think that there would be a second Gatorade bath, but as I'm about to start my interview, I see the Gatorade coming and I feel like at least my nimbleness from baseball, like trying to run away from the Gatorade bath played a little bit, but it got all over my pants and I'm wearing this white jacket. And so it's orange Gatorade. I haven't, I just do the whole trophy presentation with like orange down the right side of my jacket, but Gundy looked over at his SID Sean and he was like, Hey, uh, we got to get her another jacket. You, You make sure that you get another jacket. And I was like, Oh, that's so nice of him. Mike Gundy, Mike Gundy, (laughs) sneaky, classy guy trying to get you another jacket, taking responsibility. I love that. I only have to dry clean this, but if you want to get me another one, that's a okay by me. (laughs) I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. You just bought that jacket. I know you just got that jacket. So just take it. Say sure. Why not? Yeah. None of those baseball teams back in the day ever offered to dry clean my clothes. So I'll take it. It was, I'll tell you what, for everyone who says there's too many bowls or these bowls are meaningless. To both of those teams, that game meant something. And Gundy, mm-hmm. after the game, said, this is probably the biggest win in our program. And it was neat to hear coaches talk about, you know, what this meant to them when you're you're starting to hear, oh, these don't mean anything. And players opt out. You know, it still does. Even if players opt out, 
I mean, Kyle Hamilton, Kyron Williams, they opted out. They were still on the sidelines rooting for their guys. It's their best decision. That's the decision that they want to make. You can still love the yeah. game of football and make that decision. And you saw with in Pitt's bowl game, Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, opted out and didn't play in that game, but he was in the booth with their offensive coordinator. Oh, that's and yeah. so and he was wearing a headset and talking to the quarterback and helping them with their offense. So honestly, I I think that kids are going to do what they need to do for the betterment of their careers, but the guys who really want to be there are going to play, you know? And, and so you have to respect that. And I think these bowl games are, they mean so much to these players. And you look at, gosh, you look at games like the Rose bowl, Mm -hmm. that game was incredible. And everyone, I don't know, everyone who wasn't an Ohio state fan really wanted Utah to be able to pull that out for Ty and Aaron, for the two players that they lost over the last year, over the last calendar year. Um, that team was playing inspired. Unfortunately, their quarterback was injured by the end of the game and they just they just couldn't seal the victory. But just watching a game like that, um, watching the Sugar Bowl, watching Matt Corral get injured, that's like another thing that you have to respect guys who want to make the decision to play and guys who want to make the decision not to yeah. play. Your heart breaks for Matt Corral because he's one of the best grittiest best teammates like just solid dudes in college football and and it just it kind of deflated me and it made me bummed about that game like oh I don't get to watch Matt Corral play football anymore you know for I thought he might come back considering left on a cart the last time and came back I did that game he left on a cart and then he came back and looked like a man on a mission oh my goodness so yeah yeah, that wouldn't have been surprising so Uh, yeah these bowl games have been so much fun you have one more um I head into hoops here on what I forget, like I can't even keep what day is day it is I don't anymore. know <laughs> especially yeah, when the no, kids are in school uh yep. so you what's your schedule like in terms of because you're doing the natty I'm going to the natty oh my gosh so surreal so um, what's your schedule in terms of how long are you gone like how long are you home getting ready and then when will we see you first on air yeah so I just got back on Saturday. I got back on Saturday. So I've been home for a couple days and I leave on Thursday of this week. So I leave on the 6th for Indy. Um, The game's on the 10th. So I'm going out, you know, four days-ish early. Um, And so I get there Thursday. Friday, we have arrival interviews. The teams get in on Friday. So I'm going to go to the airport and interview uh, Kirby Smart. So I'm Mm -hmm. covering the Georgia side of things. Holly Rowe is going to cover Alabama. Um, so we're going to tag team that I'm going to do some arrival interviews, some stuff for sports center, and it's probably going to be pretty busy every day. You essentially get an email with a grid and it tells you all of the things that they need you for, and you just have to be available for them. And they have a producer on site with you who helps you coordinate and you can talk through storylines with them, but basically it's up to you to come up with what you want to talk about and what you think sports center will find interesting. Um, so it's a lot of creative, um, I don't know. There's a lot of creativity that you can take with like back-to-back sports center hits because you want to switch it up and do different things mm-hmm. and talk about different storylines. Um, so yeah, I'm going to do my first thing Friday and then have coverage all day Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday is the national championship. So it'll probably be another long day doing um, some pregame shows and game day in the morning. And then the game that evening, I think it's at uh, eight o'clock Eastern and then the next morning, I'm leaving to go to Hawaii straight Yay. from Indy, <laughs> going to Hawaii for a little R&R. And plus, it's my son's birthday. 
Um, it's his first birthday. I went into labor last year, the night of the national championship game. So it'll be so surreal to do the game. Thinking about that full circle moment makes me choke up a little bit just because it's so crazy. And I, as a, as a mom and a woman, you always think that your career is going to take a step back when you have kids. So in the year that I had a child to be able to, um, cover a game, that's always been a career goal of mine is just really cool and so surreal. So I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited for the game. I'm so excited to celebrate my little boy afterwards and take him swimming with the turtles and go to Hawaii and have like a nice family week where we turn our phones off and just spend time together because, you know, we don't get a lot of that this time of the year. And then it'll go right into hoop season and basketball coverage. So it's kind of going to be nonstop. Well, I am so excited for you. And it's really cool to see just everything that's happened in the last year and get to watch little Ray grow up. And then he's going to get to watch his mom on the national championship, along with Holly Road, too, who was assigned to it last year. And then she got COVID. So for the both of you to get to cover your first national championship, when you get back from Hawaii, we need to figure out how to get um, you and Holly on this podcast. so We can hear all about the time in Indy. That would be so much fun. And it's we're there are definitely going to be some awkward situations where I'm called Holly. I don't think anyone will call her Molly, but I'm probably <laughs> Holly just, Molly. they're going to, they're going to throw to Holly the whole game. And sometimes she'll talk and sometimes I'll talk. That's, <laughs> That's probably how it's going to go. I didn't oh even think God. about that. Well, congratulations uh, for everyone. The national championship, Alabama and Georgia Monday, check out Molly. Congratulations, Molly. And so excited to talk about it and see how it goes. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for always being um, my biggest cheerleader and one of my best friends. And I'm so glad the pod is back. Yay! And we're gonna try to we're gonna try to continue the podcast as yeah. we go through basketball season. So make sure that you guys like and subscribe and take a listen and give us feedback what you want to hear from us in our travels. And thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Thank you guys for listening to the Sideline Pass podcast. Don't forget to download, rate, and review, and we will see you next week.